you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, this is where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be beginning a new series. It's called Untangled, Breaking Free from Emotional Strongholds. And I have this to remind myself to say there's a study guide out on the, out on the table out there. If you'd like one of those, it'll cover all the topics we're going to cover. It's online. You can download it there as well uh, from the website. So Matthew chapter 6. What we're going to be trying to get through is, is basically this. Everything that we have and see in life is our thinking and is our mindset squarely resting on the Word of God. To be an excellent church, uh, to be what Christ would have us to be, is what we think and understand to know, is it resting and is it lining up with, if you will, the Word of God. And so these emotional strongholds we're referring to is, is anything that would deviate from that. So this morning we're talking about anxiety. Worry, and it's a specific kind, excessive. Excessive, over-the-top, just uh, hard to control sometimes, hard to function for some people sometimes. And even in these last six months, it's been difficult for many. Everybody's facing some form of what-ifs and how-comes and all kinds of questions that we've been asking and wondering about. You can remember back, if you're old enough, to remember Y2K? <laughs> remember that and what that was? And everybody's hunkering down and, you know, buying bunkers and beans and filling them up and, yeah, you know. Why? Well, it's because we are an anxious people. And Christ has come to relieve us of that and to set a course for us as Christian people. So Matthew chapter 6, we're right square in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 to chapter 7. And so if you go back up to... Uh, say verse 19, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for your treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there's your heart also. It's interesting to me, some things never change. He's talking about money 2,000 years ago. That concerns us great, quite a bit, doesn't it? There are things that he's referring to, so that ties into where we're going. He's stopping there, and he comes down to verse 25. So therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what your body is, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, they neither reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet, I tell you, even in Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. But if God clothes the, clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, tomorrow is thrown in the fire, or in the oven, rather, your version may say, he will not much more uh, do that to you, will you little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of freedom that we remember as a nation, but also the gift of freedom we have in you that there is no need for anxiety, that we can live in 
peace and life and hope and joy when we align our thinking to have the mind of Christ that you've given us as your children. So thank you for the redeeming power of that. Not only do you save us from wrath, but you give us so many wonderful gifts, and this being one of them. So I pray we understand the work you're doing in us and through us. Uh, and so I just pray you give us the wisdom um, and insight into your word to align our life to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the thing about anxiety, right? Here's what we know. We have feelings. We're created in God's image. Feelings aren't all bad, but good things taken to extreme can be bad, right? So here's the big idea, if you will. You don't have always the power to control your circumstances. There are so many things that go on outside of you that you have no, no realm to control, but you can always have the power to surrender. You can control you, in other words. And God wants to give us some insight in how we untangle our lives from these emotional strongholds that we may have. So what does it mean to break free from emotional strongholds? To, by faith in Christ, believe your way to feel and think biblically about life or what's going on presently in our culture, how we should spawn, etc. Opposed to letting your feelings dictate what you believe. See the difference? It's a huge difference. Who's in the driver's seat? Your feelings and emotions leading you to a particular place or the word of God taking you and leading you and therefore feeling Romans 8 says this. Paul is trying to help us through this as he's writing to the church. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Who doesn't want more life and peace? I do. Don't you want that? I don't want to be all bent up and walking on eggshells and all twisted. My dad would say like, a, like an eight-day clock. Relax. <laughs> Proverbs 14, Proverbs 16 both of those, it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the way it leads to what? Death. Yeah, I can let my feelings go and it feels right and it sounds right and it should feel, it's all that, but there is that way that leads in the wrong direction. From a secular view, Sir Walter Scott, it's an idiom now, it's, if you've, maybe for some of you, you've read some uh, ancient literature. Well, it's not that ancient. Oh, what tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. If that's all you know, you should read the rest of his poem, <laughs> if you can. But isn't that us? See, you and I as Christians have been called out of some things. We've been called out of judgment, of death and hell. There is no condemnation anymore for you that are in Christ. There is life, there is hope, there is peace. And in doing so, you and I have been given the power by the Holy Spirit, this gift that God has given us to renew our minds, to renew our perspective in life, to go a different way, to think rightly, to not be entangled in everything that happens and comes down the pike, to break free, to know the truth, to know the knowledge of who and what God is, and to live that out faithfully. And so what we're talking about is a battle for your mind, ideas, and that's the notion of stronghold that we left a few weeks ago. That's the definition in 2 Corinthians 10. Anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, any thought, any idea, anything contrary to the word of God of what we know about God's word, what he has revealed to him, about himself to us, anything that deviates from that can be a stronghold. Anything that deviates from that is something other than what God would have us to know. And so we can surrender to that. 
I can do that apart from my emotions. I'll have them still. I'm not discounting them. They're still there. But I have the ability now to demonstrate that by faith. And he will work out the feelings as we go. So there's a cost to this process. And Jesus wants us to make that clear. I love, I love what he does. There's no bait and switch. There's no, hey, look at this over here. And then once you get in, all of a sudden it's something different. He lets you know right up front what to expect. It's this out of Luke 14. He says you have to count the cost. Yes, grace is free. Salvation is free. This amazing gift of grace and mercy that we see at the cross. But when you enter into the kingdom, there is a cost that must be paid. And it comes, that comment he says about counting the cost comes right after this statement here from verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, listen, cannot be my disciple. That's a cost, don't you think? In other words, the door to the kingdom of heaven has written on it as you look on it, as you enter, Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. And you have the power as Christians because of faith in Christ, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that he is giving you to surrender, to transform your mind, to leave that old way of thinking, all those things that were in your life before you became Christ, before you were renewed, what we just sang, before this, this newness came over you. That was me back then, but that's not me anymore. That's not you anymore. Oh, there may be some things that still try to trickle into your life because of those consequences or things that you have to deal with, but that is not me I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ, and I have the power to surrender because of the Holy Spirit that's living in me. A new way of thinking, of believing, and feeling based on the revealed truth of the Word of God. So the battle comes in that we must surrender, we must leave. So when you come to Christ and you recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord, all the stuff that you're holding on must let go at the doorpost. Before you enter into the kingdom, you don't get to pirate it in with you. All that old thinking, all those bad concepts of what you think is true, all that, all of it has to be left at the door. You surrender. You don't get to pirate those old thoughts about who God is, what you think is truth, what's right, what's wrong. It's the difference between cultural Christianity and true Christianity. Cultural Christianity meaning, you know, I'm just, I'm not a bad guy, I'm a good, I'm a good person. I do the right things, I say all the right things, I don't do certain things I shouldn't do, I'm not that bad. All that stuff that makes you a moral person. It's external piety, living in your own righteousness. But Jesus isn't really your life, it's just added to your life. I had a conversation with my son as he was talking to a guy um, that he's working with on, at the Air Force Base. And so to sum it up, it was like this. He goes, he's telling my son, you go to church, I go to the gym. That was very telling to me in our culture. You do that to satisfy what you need to satisfy, I do it over here. That's our culture. Jesus, the church, is just something you attach to one more piece of your life. It's not your life. It's just one more string of pearls that you're adding to your life. That's the difference. I'm good enough, and I decide, by the way, what that is. How convenient. <laughs> and there's no surrender there. Just bondage, just entanglement. Like a piece of music composed by a composer who has a direct way to play, a direct way to, to want to 
uh, have this music that he's written be heard and played with certain instruments. It would be you coming in and going, no, I think it should sound like this. That sounds right to me. See, true Christianity is total surrender to Christ. He is your life in every area of it, not a compartment you put him in. He's not playing around the edges of your life to make you a moral person. There'll be morality to it because you're going to pursue his righteousness, and that's just the outcome of it, but that's not the thing. He's the thing. It's resting in him. It's trusting in him. It's loving him as he defines it. So Jesus Christ and the life in Christ is more of a a flow that, that comes into your life that you're working out having his mind. There's less of you and more of him, not so much a to-do list. It's internally motivated, in other words. It's what's driving you from the inside out, not externally driven self-morals of some kind. So if you remember a few weeks ago, we defined what a stronghold was. And again, it's any opinion or idea or argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God based on what Scripture says. So Scripture is the plumb line, in other words, that you're applying all these things that happen in life. And so the morning, this morning, Jesus confronts anxiety. Remember, we're created in God's image. We have feelings. We have emotions. Again, they're not necessarily bad. But when they get in the driver's seat of our lives, we can end up in some really tough places. And so he brings clarity Our emotions can run amok in life, but God still uses those. How is he using those? If you, we're going to cover anxiety, fear, depression, anger, envy, and a couple more based on what's happening in our culture. But here's one of those things I want you to take away today. If that's you and any one of those emotions, that should be an instant red flag that goes up in your life, a trigger, if you will. If I'm feeling this, that should automatically mean a response in another direction. If I'm actually feeling this, again, not necessarily bad, but it's something that's happening in my life, that should not drive you to be more entangled in it, more entangled in what the world says, this is how you handle it, this is what you do, but it should drive you to be untangled, meaning run to the Father, run to God. That's what that is telling you in your mind, the emotion that we have. And becomes a positive thing. And it's something that God can use. Remember, God uses sin sinlessly. And when we get entangled in our emotions, that should be that triggered response to go, oh, this is not who he is. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This, uh, this, isn't, this isn't him. It's over here to redirect our thinking, to break free, to not live in bondage anymore. So these emotions should be pointing us to God, not away from him. And anxiety in this case is what we're referring to this morning. Listen how Peter in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what he says. This is this application. It says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the hand of God, his mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. First step is I got to be humble. Second step is it's a bonus because he's going to exalt me somehow. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds perfect. And what are you doing? Casting all your what? All your cares, all your worries, all that pent-up stuff inside that's tying you in knots on him. Why? 
Why are you able to do that? Because he cares for you. Pretty simple. Peter is connecting this. And he's connecting it from Psalms 55. It says this, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a promise. So as we study these, remember it's really all about what you're worshiping and who you're worshiping. Watch how David does the same thing in Psalms. Psalms, I mean, it's replete with this, but listen to what David does. So he's just, yeah, just, I'll just read it. <laughs> Why are you cast down, O my soul? Psalms 42, 5. And why are you in turmoil within me? He's talking to himself. I like that because I do that too. (laughs) Why are you this way? He's recognizing something. He's trying to move his emotions to get them in line with who God is. So listen. Don't discount your emotions. That is not helpful. Don't pretend they don't exist. Don't pretend they're not feeling something in a particular time or in a particular way. Acknowledge them. You have to. And if it's anxiety, this overarching worry about everything, and uh, and you're walking on eggshells, you're all tied in knots, stop yourself for a minute and ask the question. Ask yourself, why am I so downcast? So what does he say? What does he tell himself? Verse five, hope in God. Come on, Hope. refer back to the knowledge of who God is hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God verse 6 my soul is cast down within me therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan of Hermon and from Mount Mizar those names may not mean anything to you but David has history that's what that's referring to you can study that on your own don't have time (laughs) I'd like to have time but I don't but he has a history He can look back in his life and go, oh, yeah, don't forget Jordan. He was there. Oh, remember what David was going through? Just a little rabbit trail, okay? He's being chased for his life by King Saul. And God delivered him. Enough said? He was on the number one hit list to be taken out by Saul. That's a lot of anxiety, don't you think? A lot of pressure to be running around the wilderness basically for your life because there's always someone chasing you. That seems legitimate. So what does he say? I remember you. I remember what you've done. I look back in my life from the time I came to know Christ and I see all these little pieces in my life. Oh, he was there. He was there. Oh, and I'm fortunately now a little bit older. My list is just longer. If you're in high school, it's a little shorter, but don't worry. It'll get longer. You'll see him. Don't give up. Don't give in and don't quit. How does David do that? What does he understand that we should understand in our own thinking today so there's no need to be anxious? There's three principles, and let me give them to you up front. You don't have any reason to be anxious, Christian, beloved, period. One, because God is your heavenly Father. He is your Father. Two, because the faith he has given you that saves you in Christ. And three, because you have a future <coughs> excuse me, that he is planning for you. Because God's a good God. And so Jesus is coming to our text this morning. He's referring to all this, hey, don't worry about money. 2,000 years later, it's still relevant. Because we do. 
And he's explaining what the kingdom of God is like in this passage, these three chapters. And the first thing he says when he comes to verse 25, don't be anxious. He says it three times in this, this short passage. Each one's a little different. The first one, the way it's described is, if you are anxious, stop it. <laughs> the second one is, if you're not, don't be. If you haven't started being anxious, don't be anxious. That's the second one. And the last one, he's just reminding both of those people, don't be anxious. Three commands. These are not suggestions. They are commands. So let's look at the first one. The first principle is that God is your father. You don't have to be anxious. And by that term, it just means this over-excessive worriness. This fretting. What is it specifically that he's referring to? Well, look, look what he says in verse 25. Therefore, don't be anxious about your life. What kind of life is he talking about? Well, he lists those things. It's about your physical life. Everything that's taking place in this physicalness of your life and mine. You, as a Christian, do not need to worry. There's no reason for it. And Jesus defines that as he goes on in food and, and physical health and physical needs. Why is there no necessary necessity to be anxious about those things, to be all bent up, and what am I going to do? Because God's a good God. He's a good Father. So let me pause here for a second. Maybe some of you don't know what that looks like in this physical life. I understand that. But please don't equate your growing up years and maybe a missing dad or a divorce that happened in your life when you were young or abuse or all kinds of awful things. This is where you get untangled. That is not God. So don't pirate those thoughts and feelings and emotions as hard as it is. That's what we're doing here, to get untangled. To not pirate that and go, well, man, the moment you say father or dad, that means this to me. Okay, fair enough. That was your life experience. But that's not who God is. That's not him. He's a good God. And like any good father, he provides for his family. So Jesus is going to structure this argument here on what this looks like. And he's going to use lesser things, small things. Watch what he does. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Birds are great. I love being outside. I definitely love being in the mountains. But in critters, wonderful. But they don't raise to the level of you as a human being because only human beings were created in God's image. Do we take care of all the rest of that? Yes. But look at the birds. Why is that so significant? Because Israel is like this major migration pattern for birds. Why is that? Well, one way is the desert, one way is this big body of water. And birds don't travel very well over that stuff. So from Europe and Asia, everything has been, all the, all the migration patterns funneled right down through this. And I just picture Jesus, look at them all. They're all over flying around. God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than them? Do you see the lesser to the greater? If he can do that for them, he certainly can take care of you. They have food. Please also notice that birds just don't sit around on the tree branch, do they? So don't springboard off to one direction. Go, okay, I'm just going to sit here and God's going to take care of me and it'll be great. Yeah, nope, that's not how it works. Birds work. Different kind of work, but they, they're, they're out early enough before I wake up. <laughs> Sometimes when the window's open, that's what wakes me up, right? 
So this isn't a pattern of being you know, just idle in your, in your life, not to be disciplined to work. What is, again, how do we springboard away from that? What does Paul say? If you don't work, what? You don't eat. There's value in work. Work, by the way, was before the fall, so you can't say it was a curse. <laughs> you may not like your job, <laughs> but it's not that. Work is a good thing. It's an honorable thing. Regardless of what, whether you get paid a little or a lot, that, that part's irrelevant. It is an honorable thing that God has created. And aren't you more valuable? God is the giver of life, in other words. And if he's given you life, he is obliged to provide for you. And he does. What else does Jesus use? He uses health, verse 27. Which one of you being anxious can add a single hour to your life? Your, if you have a King James, it may say cubit. So he's not talking about, man, I wish I could grow 18 inches. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I could play basketball. It'd have been awesome. <laughs> I can't do that, but that's not the kind of thing he's talking about. He's talking about, I want to lengthen my days. How many of you, by being anxious and worrying and fretting over that, can you make your life go longer? In fact, the exact opposite happens, doesn't it? The more turmoil, I mean, the worry in that level, if you get to that level, hopefully not, if you get to that level of anxiety, that does more harm to your physical body. It shows up physically. This mental ascent and things that are going on comes and shows up physically in your body in a detrimental way. And in our nation, the health industry is a billion-dollar industry. We are consumed with, with health in this nation. Vitamins, gym memberships, all those things, health food stores. Not bad things, but if that's your anxiety that you have to do and be to fit this shape that culture says, oh, you have to look like this. And we pour ourselves into that. And we stress over it, we worry over it. Somehow, in the back of our mind, I'm just going to prolong my life. It's an idolatrous way of thinking because what's going to happen? You will come to the end of your life someday. We all do. And if you just heard, oh, sweet, going to McDonald's and buying a big bag of French fries, that's not what I just said. <laughs> it's not it. How do I know? See, I just want to try to tie some of this together. Scripture says, what about your body? It's what? It's the temple of God. So take care of it as best you can. Disease, things happen. We're fallen in a world that happens, and it deteriorates. People that are a little farther down the road from me laugh at me and go, yeah, you just wait. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> but that's it. So don't slingshot to either side of those things. Take care of yourself. But don't worry so much to think that somehow you're going to be at an advantage because you're not. God is the one who knows the days of your life. He knows how many he knows all of that. He can even add them if he so chooses, by the way. Did you know that? 2 Kings chapter 20, he did it for Hezekiah. Gave him 15 more years. Do you know why? It wasn't because of Hezekiah. You read chapter 20, it says this. He's going to give Hezekiah the reason I've granted your prayer. Hezekiah's praying, I don't want to die. God grants him 15 more years. That's pretty amazing. But here's the rationale God gives him. I'm doing it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Isn't that amazing? That just amazes me. I'm not doing it for you. 
You get the blessing of it and the grace and the mercy because of it, but I'm doing it for my name because I will be glorified. And I'm doing it for my servant David, the promise that I gave him. You just get to be the beneficiary of it. Does that sound anything like salvation in your own life? What about physical needs? Jesus in verse 28 goes to close. Why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. That idea of lilies is, you know, wildflowers basically. But they don't sow or spin. They don't do anything. And even Solomon, King Solomon, and all the gold and all the bling and all the stuff that he had does not compare to that. I'm guessing at this point, when you woke up this morning, none of this was on your mind. So try to teleport yourself back to what the group of people he was talking to, because it was on theirs. This was life for them. There was no store to go to. There was no, I mean, what you, what you did probably this morning when you woke up, it wasn't so much a matter of uh, what kind of food it, uh, that I had to go get or make or, or start from scratch. It was, what am I going to pick? <laughs> Which option should I have this morning? Same with your clothes. Just walk in your closet. These people he's referring to were poor people, many of them, most of them. They had to either grow it, find it, make it from scratch every day, all day. Water, food, clothing, and it had to last. Wouldn't you be consumed too if that was your life to work? I'm guessing you'll update your own list. But basically, those three categories, whatever you update, those things will probably fall in one of those three categories. The point being is it's unnecessary to be anxious because God is your Father. And he's a good God. And he knows what you need. He knows when you need it. And he knows for how long you're going to need it. And when you feel those emotions taking over, being entangled, to think differently other than what you know God to be true, there could be a whole host of reasons why that's happening. Even when the circumstances that you've been praying for are lining up, there, you're not seeing anything. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? And all those questions start to flood in. Why do you suppose that is? Because you have an enemy that wants to keep you entangled, that wants to keep you in bondage. I don't know about you, but for me, it was usually if I did that, I have these expectations. God, I'm doing this. I'm studying. I'm, 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 I'm applying this to raising my children when they were at home. And then I watched them crash and burn and got angry. God, I did it your way. Everything I was taught, everything I see in Scripture, I taught them. And I mean, they're in the ditch. They're living in their own sin. And then it dawned on me. <laughs> they're just like their dad. They need a Savior too. So all those thoughts about what is going on in your life Maybe it's because of sin in your life and there's consequences, but even then, are you pirating something into the kingdom of God or are you leaving it at the door, conforming your mind and your life to his word regardless of the circumstances to live free and in peace? See, there's more to life than just food. That's Jesus' point. If you want to take a deep dive study, go back to the nation of Israel and study when Jesus shows up or God shows up with the manna. That's this. There is more to life than anything physical. 
And if I do have to go through those moments, and I have, and I probably will continue at some point in time, it's to mature me in Christ. That's what those moments are for that I can look back on. To see God show up in them. And would I be faithful in them, even when I'm sinful and stumble? That leads us to our second principle in verse 30. You don't need to be anxious because of your faith. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you little faith? Jesus did this numerous times with his, with his disciples. When they're in the boat, he's sleeping, everything's fine, storm's raging, he's fine. Disciples are freaking out. He chastised them many times, O oh, ye of little faith, because of your faith, you don't need to be anxious. Faith is what pleases God. Where's yours? If you and I respond like the pagans racing after the world like they do, where's your faith? That's what he shares. The Gentiles seek after these things but your heavenly Father knows you need them. That's what pagans do. That's what unbelievers do. That's all they have. There is no one else in their corner. What else do you see? Why are you so shocked about what's happening in our country right now? This is all they have. There is no hope. There is nothing. If this life is it for you, what would be the normal natural response? Of course, you're going to get everything you can. But it's not so with you. See, the Gentiles, they're completely preoccupied with all this stuff. It's all they have. It's all they know because they're entangled in their own thinking that this is it, which defies the knowledge and nature of who God is. And so they are left with just tearing down smaller barns to build bigger ones to fill them with more stuff. There is no one in their corner but themselves. God knows what you need. Do you trust him? How are you going to face life? When your soul is cast down, how will you respond? When all around you feels like it's just pressing in on you, like Paul describes, will you allow the stronghold of anxiety to take up residence, to worry, to let it redirect your life, to be all entangled up? Or will you come to the word of God and see the nature of who God is? that he is a good God, that he has provided faith for you? Will you see your past circumstances like David and go, oh, there he was. I can see it now. I wish I could see it forward. <laughs> I really do. But that's not how it works. It's a faith order. In verse 33, seek the kingdom first. That's the, that's the to-do list. That's, we like our to-do lists as Americans. Just tell me what to do. Just give me a punch list and get it, knock it out, get it done. Three negative commands. Don't be anxious. One thing to do. What is that? Look what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Whose? Not yours. His. Now what's the promise? Then all these things will be added to you. He's in your corner because he's a good God and he's given you the faith in Jesus Christ to accomplish this. What's the issue? 
Again, my issue. I have expectations, God. And doggone it, but that's not one of them. I'd like you to change those expectations for me. I'm seeking this out and doing this, but, you know, why can't I see this or that in my life? Why? You need to be able to answer that question. Whether you have a lot or a little in this physical life. Paul said he was able to be content with much or with little. Those things show up in your life because in Christ, when you walked through that door and said, Jesus is Lord and dropped everything at the front porch before you walked into the kingdom, he now has you in his hand. And he's going to mature you to grow in his likeness, in his righteousness, to pursue his kingdom. So all you have left is not control, but surrender. Can you see it? See, Satan wants to keep you entangled in the mess, to believe a lie about God. God, I did this, I should expect this. And when we have these demands on him, and when they don't show up, we get angry, we get frustrated. We'll even turn our back on them. Satan doesn't want you free. He doesn't want you to know the God who saves. He doesn't want you to be untangled. He wants you to go through this life as a Christian, all bent up, all twisted up, all contorted, not free, not in living in peace. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to know the God who restores. He doesn't want you to know the God who provides. He doesn't want you to know the God intimately who provides life and peace. So what are some of those emotional strongholds that he will provide for you? That God doesn't care? Really? You've been praying and nothing's happening. What's with that? You're really going to sell out to this God? Your life's a train wreck. What's wrong with you? You're better off without him. Is he really taking care of you? Why don't you have more? He said he would provide for you. You, you, you should have more. You deserve more. Or maybe God doesn't really know your needs. He's not that big of a God, really. You think you can truly rely on him? Your life is really hard right now. It's been difficult. And where is he? You better look out for number one and just take care of you. Or maybe God's not that grand after all. He just doesn't have the power. He may know the need. He may see what you have, but he just can't do anything about it. So what kind of God is that? Can he really deliver? See, but the untangled mind stays the course and knows the word of God. He knows the truth. And just like when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he brings the scripture to bear in his life. You do not live by this physical stuff alone in this world. In other words, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's the point. I live for greater things, not lesser things, not physical things. I live for the kingdom of God. Every word that comes out of his mouth. My, my movement and my life now is given over to the kingdom. It's bigger than me. It's greater than me. It's so much larger than myself. And in his providence, he will provide. And when it feels as if he doesn't and my emotions get engaged, that should be the trigger that goes, Oh, I am going to rust in you and cast my cares on you. I will endure the circumstances. 
I will endure. That's what you see in scripture. Read the book of Acts. Early Christians were persecuted. Where do you think their prayers were? This isn't how the kingdom's supposed to be. They just came off thinking Jesus was the Messiah, not to be crucified, but to set up his kingdom. Now they're being told something completely different. Can you see it? They had to let go of their preconceived notions about the kingdom of God saying it was this way, not the way you were taught. Charles Spurgeon said this, it doesn't matter how heavy the troubles are if you cast them on the Lord. The heavier, heavier they are, so much the better. The more you have gotten rid of, the more there is laid at the rock. This leads us to our third principle. There's no need to be anxious because you, dear Christian, have a future. You have hope. Unlike the unbeliever has no hope. This is it for them. You have a future and a hope that God has given you. It's interesting to me that Jesus says this, the last, don't be anxious, verse 34. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. That's the future. You know those people who, when it seems like life is good for them, they're still worried, but it's not in their present circumstances. It's all the what ifs that come tomorrow or the next week or the next year. It's as if they don't have enough to worry about, so they import it in from the future. Don't do that. That's what Jesus is saying. You have one, and he has it under control. Remember, you may not. I've lost jobs. I've wondered about those things and gone through some of that stuff. And you do ask, what, what, what's happening? Why? But the difference is, is who you're focused on. The recognition of having your wife look at you and go, so how are we going to pay for this? Because uh, you just got laid off. I know. I don't know. <laughs> awful place for me personally to be. Absolutely awful if you've been there. But some 36 years later, as of a couple weeks ago, a month ago, it's amazing. I can see all those now. And now because of that, I know I have a future. I know what God has planned for me. This brings joy in my life. It brings peace in my life, even when it gets difficult and hard. There's no reason to be anxious. God is the God of the past, the present, the future. This is his story. This is his history. He's letting run out. And only he knows the final chapter and when that will begin. God is good in his mercy. He gives grace for today, not tomorrow. That's fear. That's a lie. That's an emotional stronghold in your life that needs to be unwound and untangled. What does God say about his mercy every day? It's new every day. What does that mean for you? It means you don't have to worry. He will work. I'm just so, I can, I, you know, if I can look back at my life and go, there is no way I would be where I'm at. I screwed, sin just torqued my life and messed it up. And to see those promises in life, to be faithful and to see those being worked out, to go, okay, let's not do that anymore. That's bad. I, wanna, I don't want to have to go through those things anymore. In other words, I don't want to have the consequences show up like that in my life anymore. I want to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. Am I still tested? Yes. Does life go great all the time? Absolutely not. But because I know I have a future, I don't have to worry. He has given you a future in Christ. Not just heaven. Not just waiting around. Oh, that'll be, it will be great. 
it's, un, it's uncomprehensible, Scripture says, to what God has prepared for you to those that love him. But I have to live here. And if I'm going to do it here, I want us to recalibrate our life on him because of the future he has given us. In the midst of all the hardship, in the midst of all the testing that comes in your life, he is faithful. Why is this so important? Because everybody where you live, work, and play is watching you and is watching me. How are you responding through these last six months? Are you hoping all the political systems will get figured out and all the bannering that goes on? Is that your solution? That's what you're seeing in the streets. Really? That's, that's the best you have to offer? It's in Jesus Christ. And he has only given you this day to do it in. Worry is forbidden then, Jesus is saying. It's a, a grievous sin. Why? You know, when you, come, when you read scripture, there's a, the big sin list and that Paul talks about in his letters. Oh, you know, adultery and, and fornication and, and all those things. Oh, those are the really big ones. Yeah, I don't think so. This one, to me, is at the top of the list. Why? Because it is a direct attack on the character and nature of who God is. All it says is, I don't trust you. That's what it says. You're not big enough. Worry doesn't honor God, it doesn't love God, but it's assault on his divine character of who he is. And three times Jesus says, don't be anxious. Seek him first. That's the solution. Where is your faith? People are watching. And in this moment in our history, they need to see your faith being lived out. Not this carefree, it doesn't matter, because it does matter that what we're experiencing, but how it's being worked out in you because of the faith you have in Jesus Christ. What is your testimony during COVID? What is your testimony in an uprising against liberty that we're seeing in our nation? What is consuming you at this moment? Is it all this political nonsense that goes on? Or is it the kingdom of God to pursue him? That's what the command is. That's the, the doing part of this. You want to untangle and get rid of anxiety? Seek him first. Pursue him first. Set those feelings aside. As, battle with them as much as possible. And he will untangle it all for you. Lamentations 3 says this, my soul is bereft in peace of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you experienced that? So I say, my endurance is perished. So has my hope in the Lord. Where is he? Why isn't he here? My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Can you see it? That's the reality of where I'm at, but God is doing something. What about you? What about us as a family of God? How do we respond? The word of God is clear. There is no need to be anxious. God is a good father. He has given you faith in Jesus Christ and he has provided a future for you to be with him forevermore. And until that day comes, here's what Psalm 9 says as our worship team comes. The Lord will be my stronghold for the oppressed, the stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who what? Seek you, seek my kingdom. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his, tab, his temple. 
Psalms 32, therefore let everyone who is godly pray. Pray to you in that a time when you may be found, surely a flood of, uh, the flood of great waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, glorifying me. Why is God doing this? Because he wants to be glorified. And just like Hezekiah, you get the benefit. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Because the Lord is good, the stronghold in the day of trouble, he knows those who take refuge. And on and on, those are all from Psalm's name, all Old Testament. And they just roll out. What about you? Are you still entangled? Do you know the Lord? Are you still outside of the gate trying to hang on to everything and pirate it into the kingdom? Do you read the words over the door of Jesus that says Jesus is Savior and Lord, meaning to letting go of everything you have and coming to him empty? I'm begging you, if you have not done that, repented of your sins, to believe in who Jesus Christ is, the Son of the living God, and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, I'm begging you to do so. That's the door into the kingdom. Jesus is the door. And you don't get to pirate those thoughts and those emotions and define how the kingdom is going to be played out. You have to let go. That's what repentance is. And you come to the kingdom like this. A poor beggar. That's how Jesus started this. Blessed are what? Poor in spirit. If you know him, and you're on the journey into the kingdom, I'm begging you, remember the work he's done. He's not left you abandoned. He's not left you an orphan. He wants to untangle your life. Why? For his glory and your benefit so you can reach people where you live, work, and play with the gospel. Father, thank you for this gift and power to live an untangled life, to not be in the clutches of anxiety, of worry, but to know the freedom, to know the life and peace that you give only by faith in Christ, to leave our burdens at the front gate as we enter the kingdom, to know Jesus, to know that he gave it all, this ransom to buy us back. So Father, I just pray Help us to remember. Help us to remember the good things and works you've done in our life. To stay focused on the kingdom and on your righteousness, not our own circumstances, not what causes us worry. And in doing so, we will live for you and be an example to all those around us where we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name, amen.